your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. What's up, what's up? It's EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer coming at you with a new episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. And we got a very, very special guest for you coming today. Ian Bagley, SNY. NBA Insider joins us, so this will be a fun show. First, let me get to Tommy real quick. Tommy, how you feeling? Should be a big show today. I got a lot of questions for Ian. I know you do as well. Yeah, we got bags in the house, so uh, let's get into it, EJ. Let's absolutely do it. Ian Bagley coming at you right after this. Once again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WF, an original podcast you can get wherever you get your shows, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Today's episode, very special because we are joined by one of the best basketball reporters in the game. He is an NBA insider covering the Knicks and Nets for SNY, where you can see his work on television and online. Ian Bailey joins us now to talk about all things Knicks offseason and preview storylines for the upcoming season. Ian, great to have you as always. How's the offseason treat you? EJ, I appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you. Off season is good so far. We were talking before the show. I hope we're in a little bit of a quiet period. I'm going to knock on wood every time I say that because this is the kind of time of year where you know team people kind of take a break, go on vacation. So I wouldn't think there's going to be any serious talks around Harden or uh, excuse me, Harden or Lillard. But you know, stranger things have happened. So hopefully, we're in a quiet period right now. We certainly hope so. We don't want to repeat of last year where you had the Donovan Mitchell saga play out all the way into August. And I don't know if that's going to be a situation we have potentially with uh, these two guys, uh, Lillard and, of course, James Harden. But um, I know Ian's, of course, going to be on it like all the great NBA insides we have in this game. So, uh, Ian, started off the show, I want to start with the latest news we got with the Knicks, which was um, the Knicks signing a uh, former first-round pick, uh, Dylan Windler. He signed a two-year deal. A two-way two-way contract. I'm sorry, a one-year deal with the Knicks. Uh, Winslow was drafted 26 overall by the Cavs in 2019, but he has struggled to stay on the court due to various injuries. He suffered an ankle injury last year before uh, the season that didn't allow him to be back in court until February. He kind of spent the rest of the time over in Cleveland's G League team. Uh, what do the Knicks see in Winslow? What do the Knicks think they're getting with this player? I think what you referenced, EJ. You know, former first-round pick. There's clearly talent there. They obviously see some untapped potential because you don't make this move with knowing that you're going to have to make a corresponding move to either waive someone or convert somebody's contract. Clearly, they see something in Windler that maybe other teams haven't been able to get out of him. And that's why you make a move like this at the, the back end of the roster. You hope that, you know, it, it, it hits, whether it hits as a Dylan being a rotation player or a situational player. You hope that he sticks in some way, shape, or form. And I think they've done pretty well, it seems, on their two-way deals. Um, we'll see if anything else shakes loose. But they have to like the group that they have on two-way contracts at the moment. Yeah, I agree with you, Ian. And just you talked about corresponding moves. I, I assume that, uh, you know, it's been reported that Trevor Keels um, and they're uh, going to part ways while still maintaining his G League rights. Um, is that what you're hearing as well? And does it sound like, uh, you know, Keel's days with the Knicks may have come to an end? Yeah, no, it does sound like that. that's the corresponding move. Keel's getting waived as first reported by my buddy Fred Katz. So if that is indeed the case, no reason to think it wouldn't be. 
it doesn't speak highly of the, the draft process uh, when, when they took kills in the second round. And you just wonder, man, such a young player, uh, what did they see internally that led them to get to this point where you're waving him without even wanting to see any more uh, from this young player out of Duke? And, you know, I had heard that they weren't all that impressed by what they had seen in Westchester, that there were some conditioning issues uh, over the course of Kiel's tenure in New York. I don't know what ultimately led them or will lead them to, to pull the plug um, to make room for Windler. But, yeah, just uh, not how you'd want to see uh, a young draft pick go through your system if you're the Knicks. It definitely hurts considering they didn't have a first-round pick last season. They came in with no draft picks this season. So Keels essentially was their young player, so to speak, and, and now he apparently will be on the out. So – Okay, we enter year four of the Leon Rose regime. So uh, many kind of didn't know what to expect from this regime. You know, of course, he's a longtime agent, but this is a first time go for him as a basketball executive. Do you think the Knicks brass is comfortable where the franchise is positioned right now, given where they are, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the NBA pecking order as we enter year three of the Leon Rose era? Yeah, I think they feel good about it. I mean, they've, they've made the playoffs twice, bounced back from a tough 21-22 season. Um, their big free agent acquisition so far, Jalen Brunson, has outperformed probably anybody's expectations outside of himself. Uh, Rick Brunson and Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau and William Wesley. He was fantastic. So I think by and large, you have to like where you are if you're Leon Rose. And more importantly, uh, Nick Governor Jim Dolan, I, I assume that he likes where the Knicks are right now under Leon Rose's stewardship. So, yeah, there have been hits, there have been misses, but by and large, they're in a spot now where they've got the draft capital, they've got the young players to be involved in in bigger trades, and they also feel like they have this young core together here now where they can win on their own um, without that big acquisition, although we all know the expectation is that big acquisition is going to come at some point. Yeah, Beggs, do you think with the success they've had last season and obviously the, you mentioned that the draft capital and the young players on favorable team-friendly contracts, that they're still kind of eyeing the, you know, waiting for that shoe to drop, whether it's Embiid or Doncic or one of the huge megawatt names. Um, but that success last year kind of bought them some time. They don't have to make a push for, say, a guy like Carl Anthony Towns or Zach Levine or somebody along those lines. Yeah, I think, you know, both things are true. I think they did earn themselves some rope here by last by last season, winning a playoff series, uh, getting to a place that not many observers had had them going second round of the playoffs. So they certainly bought themselves some time where you saw, like, I think pretty sure if they wanted to have Carl Anthony Towns to trade for Carl Anthony Towns, if they wanted to do that this summer, they could have gotten that done. So they did take a patient approach here. And so – they do have more clock, but I, at the same time, you know, we heard James Dolan on the record in an interview with WFAN saying one of the reasons he brought Leon Rose in was because of his connection to star players. So, you know, clearly the governor's expectation in Dolan is that they eventually land a big star. Now, they hit a home run with Jalen Brunson, but I think there's there's still more to be done when you're talking about big player acquisitions. They're in no rush clearly and they don't have to be in a rush Tommy because as you mentioned they had that big year last year and turning back the clock just to last season because we saw 
the Donovan Mitchell negotiations play out over the course of months that ended up with him not becoming a New York Nick. Since then, we've heard various names come up. We've heard the OG Ananubis. We've heard the um, Zach Levines come up recently, Carl the Towns this offseason as well. Since the Donovan Mitchell situation and the fallout from that, have the Knicks come anywhere close to making one of those big kind of moves? Or are they kind of been not close at all in, in terms of bringing in a star player? Maybe not of Mitchell's caliber, but maybe a little lesser than that. Yeah, my understanding on Ananobi was that they were ready to be aggressive at the deadline, but there was a concern about if Ananobi would then sign in New York long term if they traded for him. So I, I would assume that that's probably the closest they got in terms of acquiring a you know a, a very talented player. After those Donovan Mitchell talks, I don't think anything has gotten close to date for them. You know, I was told a couple weeks ago that they had a, a level that they were comfortable going for a player like Harden, and they weren't going to exceed that level. So, you know, if the, the price falls to where they're comfortable with it, maybe they go ahead there. Um, but I can't see that happening. And so I don't think they've gotten super close on anything else. They had some contact with the Bulls on – Zach Levine, I was never under the impression that they they got into consequential talks on Levine. So I think Ananobi was probably the closest they got. And that's something to keep an eye on, for me at least, going into the season because we don't know kind of where Toronto is. What are they going to do? Um, are they going to pivot at some point to trade off some of their top players? Does that mean Siakam? They've had talks on Siakam. I, they haven't had talks on Ananobi as far as I know. As of earlier this month, they were not engaging on Ananobi. But during the season, maybe things change. So that's why I would keep an eye on the Ananobi situation if I were a Nick fan. Yeah, we talked about Keels, the, their loan draft pick the last two seasons. And the other move you know, regarding a draft pick was Obi Toppin, who they basically dumped for you know, just second-round picks. So obviously not the ideal scenario to play out. And there are reasons why Obi's tenure didn't, uh, wasn't as successful as either side would have hoped. Um, that being said, they're entering you – know, it seems like they're, they're one – obviously their one big move this offseason was signing Dante DiVincenzo. Um, do you feel that they're comfortable – Heading into next season, with we would assume, what we would view as kind of a lack of a true backup power forward. Do you think they're comfortable playing Josh Hart big minutes there? Maybe Barrett will spend some time kind of um, at the four spot, um, or do you think they bring in a veteran year before uh, before camp starts? Based on what I had heard, just in terms of the comfort level with this current roster, what I heard in terms of people in touch with the Knicks um, a few weeks ago was that they didn't think that they knew that other moves had to be made. Now, I don't know if that meant something before training camp or if that meant just a bigger picture, you know, we're not done constructing this roster, but I think there's, there was a belief uh, according to people in touch with them that they knew, you know, some other moves had to be made to balance this thing out specifically though, on the backup four, I have to think that they have a comfort level with Josh Hart, RJ Barrett, getting minutes and small lineups at the four behind Julius Randle uh, because that that rotation last year, as you guys know, that nine-man rotation, that turned the season around for them. And so if you're going to bring in somebody else, bring in another free agent, to Michael Green, whoever it is, you're opening things up to a 10-man rotation. And I just think that based on how things went last year, with nine guys, Thibodeau would want to stick to that nine-man rotation. So I, I just think – there's a level of, of comfort there 
going into the year without that traditional backup four because you can mix, you can match bigger lineups. Maybe you see Jerko Sims, Tom Thibodeau like the lineups where Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein shared the floor when Mitchell Robinson was out last year. So I think there are options there that don't include bringing in an outside free agent. Tommy mentioned the departure of uh, Ovi Toppin, and a lot has been made of the relationship Toppin may or may not have had with Tom Thibodeau or how he felt about his role. Was there any toxicity that you understand regarding his relationship with Tibbs and the Nick organization, or was this just kind of a, hey, we're just doing business, and this is what's best for you, this is what's best for us, and we're just going to move on? I think there was frustration on Obi Toppin's part. I, I don't know um, if I would call it toxicity because that reaches a higher level. And as all three of us know, there's been plenty of toxicity around the Knicks in the past. Sure. So we know what that level is. So maybe I wouldn't go there, but Obi certainly wanted a bigger role. He wanted more minutes. He wanted consistent minutes. Um, and he would get yanked after a mistake or two uh, pretty regularly over his three-year tenure. With the Knicks, so certainly there was frustration there, and I think Obi looks at this Indiana situation as a chance to show what he can do. Excuse me, and to earn more minutes, earn a bigger rotation spot, and so I think there's optimism there. But uh, yeah, I don't think it was just strictly business. I do think there was some frustration there. But I'll say this too: um, you know, Tom Thibodeau has made decisions around some of these younger Knicks. Um, and the decisions so far, by and large, seem to have been validated by what's happened. I'm thinking about Cam Reddish, I'm thinking about Kevin Knox, I'm thinking about you know, Dennis Smith Jr. You go back and you see who he's played and who he hasn't played in terms of the young guys, and it seems like he has a pretty good read on on what's going on in his gym and, and who can who deserves minutes, who doesn't. Maybe he was wrong on topping. We'll find out. But just recent history suggests that he has a pretty good read on things when it comes to young players. Uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll all circle the Knicks Pacers game uh, next year on, uh, on our calendar and look forward yes. to it. Um, speaking of young Knicks uh, and their uh, relationships with the front office and the coaching staff, Emmanuel quickly, kind of the one piece of business leaving uh, the remainder of the summer, up, you know, the Knicks have right up until the night before the start of the 2023-24 regular season to sign him to a contract extension. Um, two questions. Uh, gut feeling, do you think the two sides agree to a contract extension prior to the start of the season? And if I told you the over-under, I put the number at four years, let's say $90 million. Do you think um, it's under or over that number? Yeah, I would say I, I do think that they're more likely to come to an agreement than not. I mean, quickly has, has earned a significant salary based on the way he has uh, taken steps forward over the course of his career, particularly last season. I don't think the Knicks are in position where they can uh, potentially lose him for nothing, which would be next year when he's a restricted free agent. So I would assume that they do come to an agreement. As far as that four for 90, if I'm guessing right now, I probably would say a little bit under, a little bit under. Um, I don't, you know, 20 in that area, a little over 20, a little under 20. I think that's kind of the sweet spot. Uh, but, you know, the idea that quickly has had this big season and I would assume he and his representation will want to take advantage of that. I wonder if there's, it's difficult for team and player to find common ground on a number, but if I'm making a guess, I would guess that it's a under four for nine. Interesting. 
So we talked earlier about uh, Obi Toppin, and one of the players, one of the reasons why he's gone is essentially is because he was blocked by Julius Randle, who remains a, a polarizing player among Knicks fans despite making two all-NBA teams in the last three years. Um, it, it appears the team doesn't seem to share the same frustration as some fans with some of his uneven play and his demeanor. Have the Knicks ever seriously considered trading Julius Randle? And if not, what do the Knicks see that maybe some of his detractors don't? I, I think there was strong consideration given to the idea of moving Julius that offseason that they drafted Obi Toppin. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure. I don't know. If, maybe before the, <clears throat> excuse me, Halliburton top draft too, there was consideration that Halliburton top and draft, there was consideration <clears throat> to moving him. But I don't know how close things got to the finish line, but obviously it didn't happen. And I know that there are definitely people up and down the organization, uh, including the very top, that think very highly of Julius Randle and appreciate what he has done for this Nick team night in and night out uh, in terms of the disconnect between what, how the organization views Julius and how fans do. I mean, I, I don't know. Like that's an individual kind of debate that a fan could have with Leon Rose. Like I'm not sure where all, how all the fans feel those disgruntled fans feel about Randall, but I think in general, the Knicks see Randall as more valuable to them on their team playing night in and night out than he would be in trading him and getting, you know, X, Y, Z back that might not uh, equal the sum of what Randall brings to them every night and has brought to them every night for more often than not over the past three years. So I think that's part of it. I, I don't think anyone is untouchable, but coming into this offseason, things that I'd heard and early on in free agency were that he was highly unlikely to be moved um, and in, Maybe for a, a top player, he would have been moved, but there was no appetite towards, you know, just getting off of him just to get off of him. And clearly that was the case when the Knicks opted to trade Obi Toppin because you're saying, without saying it, that Julius Randle is continuing to be our guy. He's going to continue to get major minutes for us at the four spot. Yeah, Knicks uh, more committed to uh, Mr. Randall now more than ever. Uh, one player where there is obviously a disconnect between player and coach and franchise, uh, at least <laughs> based on his comments, Evan Fournier um, has, uh, you know, with that recent interview this offseason, you know, kind of let it be known, understandably so, as a proud professional, um, that he's kind of been frustrated to not be a part of the rotation. Um, do you think... Uh, it's a given that he's traded uh, in the next month or so, next two months before the, the start of the season, or do you think there's a possibility Knicks hang on to him knowing that his $18, $19 million contract could be, you know, ballast in a larger trade in, in terms of salary cap filler. Uh, they hold on to the deadline. Do you think that's a possibility as well? Yeah. I mean, just from a, a human perspective, I, I would hope that the Knicks find something that works for them, sending Evan Fournier somewhere else. Uh, Cause you know, at basketball decisions or basketball decisions. And from a basketball perspective, the decision to remove Fournier from the rotation uh, was justified based on the results because the Knicks took off when they had that nine-man rotation after removing Fournier and Derrick Rose. But, you know, you're, you're putting this guy kind of in the closet for another season, uh, another half a season. I just don't think that's, that's a great way to do business. I know the Knicks value his contract highly as a – expiring deal and you know a lot of teams given the new cba uh, would love to have a big expiring contract because it would allow them to shed some salary 
I know that the Spurs and the Knicks have talked during the offseason about Fournier. I know some people with the Spurs saw the benefits of adding Fournier to the roster, but I think that the Knicks have been totally unwilling to attach any draft compensation to a Fournier deal. And so maybe that's a sticking point there. And there's going to be different trades made, I think, between now and training camp, now and the start of the regular season. So I think the Knicks are going to have opportunities again to move Fournier. Uh, but at this point, I don't know, it just feels like they're comfortable going into the season with him on the roster, out of the rotation, and disgruntled again. Ian Bagley joins us of SNY. Uh, I want to talk quickly about Dante DiVincenzo, a player the Knicks did add uh, this offseason. Of course, Jot Hart liking to opt into his uh, one-year uh, player option, allowing he, uh, the Knicks to give Dante the full mid-level exception. How do the Knicks envision DiVincenzo's impact on the club this year? Yeah, I think kind of similar to Josh Hart. I mean, they're not carbon, carbon copies of each other. Uh, I don't think it's fair to say that, but there's the idea that DiVincenzo, versatile defensively and brings a lot on offense as far as you know being able to cut without the ball. He knocked down, I think, 39% of his threes last year with Golden State, so if he can replicate that. He helps the Knicks in perimeter shooting where they could use the help based on what we saw in the playoffs last year. So I think he brings a lot. Uh, I think he's a versatile player, and, and they see him just bolstering that second unit and maybe like Hart, a player who can slide in and out of that starting lineup in the second unit because of his versatility. So I know that you know Leon Rose had seen uh, DiVincenzo as a target entering even the draft and uh, looking ahead towards free agency. So – he was, he was a top near, if not at the top of their board, and they got their guy. And so you know, we'll see how it works out to me. The interesting thing is if DiVincenzo comes in and plays, you know, he's got to play 20-plus minutes, who does that take minutes away from? How do you work that out with the backcourt slash wings? Who, does not, who doesn't get minutes with DiVincenzo coming in here and getting minutes, significant minutes this coming season? It's going to be interesting to see how Tom Thibodeau uh, wades his way through that situation. Uh, last one for me, uh, Begs, and, and thanks again for, for joining us today. Really appreciate the time. Um, you know, we talked about Randall. We talked about, uh, you know, and well, and Brunson's obviously, you know, is, as untouchable as a, as a Nick can be at this at the current moment. Um, Barrett, do you think, you know, they view him along those same lines as kind of a core, one of those, uh, you know, essential pieces for the movement of the franchise or, if the right deal came along, the right opportunity to improve, whether that's an OG on an OB or, or a player of a similar ilk um, that they'd include to, you know, it would include him in a deal. Do you get the sense um, that, you know, they, at the way they feel about Barrett is, is kind of, uh, you know, they, they place him on that high pedestal? Yeah, I think, you know, based on last offseason, he was certainly involved in those Donovan Mitchell trade talks. And, and there were people in the organization who were very comfortable putting R.J. Barrett in the trade to get Donovan Mitchell, obviously Leon Rose ultimately was not one of those people who was comfortable doing that. They decided to extend Barrett, decided not to trade for Donovan Mitchell. So, but I look at it through that prism and I say to myself, if there were people over there that were willing to, to push, not to push him out, but to include RJ Barrett in a trade for a player like Donovan Mitchell, I would assume that those same people would be willing to include Barrett in a deal for another player of Mitchell's caliber. So I don't think, you know, anybody is untouchable other than who you said, Tommy, Jalen Brunson, in terms of big-time trades. Uh, 
but I do think, though, that there's an appreciation for how Barrett bounced back in the postseason. First two games didn't shoot it well, and then came on in a huge way for this Knicks team was a big reason they won that Cleveland series and had a steady playoff performance. I got a question for you, Tommy. I want to know, where are you on Randall and Tibbs right now? I know you've been down on those guys in the past over certain segments of their time here. Where are you on those guys right now? Yeah, I think, you know, they, they've earned the right to, uh, to, to, to kind of proceed as, as they have been. Um, you know, I thought the OB situation was untenable. Um, I think it's unfortunate kind of the way it's played out. I would certainly prefer Tibbs to be a, to hold Randall's feet to the fire a little bit more. I don't know whether he does that behind the scenes. Um, I would encourage him to kind of, you know, when there are instances of Randall not hustling, that bad body language that I think is a little bit contagious, um, and, and can be detrimental to the overall impact of the team. Um, that being said, I totally understand the front office's desire to hold Randall. And one of the reasons I think they value him so much is the same reason that Tibbs does is because regular season wins matter. Um, and very few players have provided the consistency, the durability, the production um, that Randall has. So I think it, it makes sense that they're, you know, that they're committed to him going forward. We'll see how it plays out. And, you know, I, I understand they want to keep him, but if there is a strong suitor, you know, if, if let's say, you know, hypothetically the Sixers want to do a deal and they don't want to hit the complete rebuild button, having Randall on that very team friendly contract to send back as another situation that could benefit both parties. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I've been one who I, I've been waiting for the split of Tibbs and Randall. To me, I, I'm looking to see if Randall maybe could reach a new level with with a new coach who will, like Tommy said, hold his feet to the fire. Okay, last one for you, Ian, because I would be remiss not to ask about it. You know it. I know it. Tommy knows it. The rumblings about Joel Embiid and whatever is going on with the situation in Philadelphia. We know James Harden has requested a trade. He's not happy. Joel and B saying that, you know, I, I may win a championship here or elsewhere, which created a lot of headlines. And I know you reported that he had met with uh, Dow Morey to recommit essentially to the organization. Simple question. Why do the Knicks continue to be linked to Embiid, a guy who has not yet requested a trade? And by all accounts, the Sixers aren't looking to trade him. Yeah, I think that's part of the nature of how kind of people, fans and media view the NBA landscape. But here, you know, there's an organic connection, Leon Rose, Joel Embiid's former agent. And then you couple that with the fact that what we talked about earlier, the Knicks have the draft capital and young players to be, excuse me, involved in any kind of trade for a top star. And then you talked about the comments uh, to Maverick Carter recently that Embiid made about wanting to win a title in Philly or anywhere else. And so you put all that conjecture together and there's going to be a speculation about Embiid in his future. But, yeah, EJ, I'm with you. Until he says to Daryl Morey, hey, it's time to move me. I'm demanding a trade. Until that happens, there's nothing really to talk about. And even if that were to happen, I don't think Daryl Morey would move him to the Knicks if all things were equal from different suitors and he had a, a package that maybe was 95 cents on the dollar to the Knicks package from another team. I would assume that he'd move him out of the division. So I think there's a lot of hurdles yet to be cleared until we can talk seriously about Joel Embiid to the Knicks. But the, the loose conversation, the speculation around it, I think is always going to be there. 
particularly with the uncertainty in Philadelphia right now around the James Harden situation. As, I, as I've said before, uh, the Knicks start dealing with Danny Ainge was difficult. Wait till they talk to Daryl Morey about his <laughs> franchise player. I think that that won't go maybe as smoothly as some Knicks fans will hope. Ian Bagley, you can catch his work with SNY, both on television and on the website, SNY.TV. Make sure you check out the new season of the putback when that comes back uh, as well. So, Ian, thank you again so much for joining us. Really do appreciate this time. I appreciate you, fellas. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Talk to you soon. Thank you. That was SMY's Ian Bagley joining us. A lot of interesting things coming from me. And Tommy, do you have any major takeaways from uh, the sit down we just had? Yeah, I just thought, um, you know, some, some good insight on a, on a bunch of different topics. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the situation regarding Barrett, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, it's kind of the one thing I'm, I'm interested to see. And also I thought his, um, his uh his opinion on uh, IQ getting a deal done yes. I, I thought that was thought that was encouraging um I I agree with him that the Knicks you know certainly should prioritize uh, signing uh, quickly to an extension prior to the start of the season I'm just curious if IQ's camp is as uh, as as amenable to an extension um you know we just saw uh, you know we're recording this Thursday afternoon a few hours uh, after Jalen Brown signed a, a deal that's greater than the gross domestic product of like 37 countries so um obviously IQ's not on that level but uh you know just a sign that the the uh, the, the cap rising um, is going to lead way to some really significant contracts and um, IQ may feel he wants a piece of that yeah, I, I would say that was also the biggest probably eyebrow raiser for me during this interview was the idea that an IQ deal gets done and he's thinking maybe slightly south of 94 years, which I think most <laughs> Knicks fans would sign up for that. I think I think some people may have been a little nervous about that going to 100 million. And I've talked about it on this podcast feeling like the IQ negotiation could be the next major standoff this Nick organization faces. But if you're talking about something south of 90 million for four years, I can't imagine there being a lot of pushback from the Nick organization. But like you said, I think we'll be curious to see um, what the deal is with, uh, with, with IQ and, and if that they can get that done. Also to start the interview, um, Trevor Keels, and uh, he mentioned the C word, which I, is something that I've, I think I've danced around or maybe poked around a little mm. bit, but he mentioned conditioning potentially mm. being a problem with, with what, with, with with his time with the Knicks and essentially it looking like his Nick tenure is indeed over, which is pretty incredible considering he was just drafted last year. He, he was only 19 years old when they took him. Yeah, I thought the same thing. You know, I think a lot of people had, had hinted at it and maybe yeah. not addressed it directly. I don't know if, if uh, Keels has been asked about it, and um, but it, it certainly seemed like it was a legitimate question. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and EJ, you and I talked about it coming out of Vegas. I just I would I said I'd be surprised if he was part of the, you know, if his two-way yeah. contract was, was still intact because uh, there's just again there's so much competition and so few spots even with the two-way the new cba having three two ways instead of two um again you know uh, this doesn't mean that his time is you know uh, he'll never be a part of the organization nick still have his g league rights i don't know if he wants to go play overseas but if he feels you know we got off to a slow start and you know i'm, I'm sure you know they the knicks didn't want to burn any bridges i'm sure he doesn't want to burn any bridges um, so uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go back to Westchester and, you know, he's a talented kid, um, you know, played well, uh, well enough at Duke and the Knicks, uh, have a track record of drafting guys 
um, yep. with talent. So we'll see if he can kind of earn his way back into the Knicks with graces. But um, I like the Windler pickup for what it's worth. I thought it was good. Yeah, I want. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to ask you about that. What what what, what about the window pickup? Are you uh, are you are you feeling right now? Yeah, yeah. I think the idea, just kind of the idea of of two way contracts, is to find a diamond in the rough. You know, you don't necessarily need to find a guy that you're going to plug in on a Thursday night where you know you, you plug and play on a. You know, it's not like a, a reliever. You know, you know, left situational reliever in baseball, some right. along, along those lines. This is kind of those things where you take a big picture view and say, um, you know, he's not may not be able to contribute. Um, you know, on a, on a, you know, we, we're not going to need him to contribute. Tibbs only plays nine guys anyway. Um, yeah. You take talent. You, you, you know, NBA is still after all the stuff we talk about. So it's a, it's a, it's a talent based league, and it's primarily a three point shooting league. It's a guy that shot, you know, led the Ohio Valley Conference shooting 42, 43 percent um, as a, as a, as a, as a senior at Belmont. Um, you know, he has not shot it well in the league. Um, you know, it's tough for shooters to find, kind of find their rhythm when they're playing limited minutes and coming off the bench and dealing with injuries. Um, shot relatively well in the G League. Um, you know, he's a, a six, eight guys that can shoot and he's not a, he's not a, a you know, a sieve defensively. Like he can guard some guys, yeah. um, you know, has some length. Um, again, there was a reason that a lot of teams wanted him in, in 2019 when he came out and there's a reason he went first round. Um, so yeah, you know, pick him up, scoop him up, low risk, potential, decent reward. Um, I thought it was worth a roll of the dice. Yeah, I, I like to win the pickup up a lot. I mean, I remember studying his game when coming out of the draft at Belmont. And it's crazy how his career has gone because at Belmont, the guy was an Ironman. I mean, this guy was yes. 35 minutes a night, not missing any games. And it seems like as soon as he signed the NBA contract and the ink was dry, he just kept getting hurt. Broken wrist, hurt knee, hurt ankle last year. That ankle injury that he thought was going to, maybe set him out for a month, a month and a half. He ended up not being ready until February. He injured himself before the first preseason game of last year. So injuries have been a massive issue. And I saw, I read, I read an interview he did, I think in March of last year, where he finally started to get some time with the G league. And he said that, you know, he finally feels like his body is back to where it needs to be after all these injuries. So uh Windler, he says a guy who can shoot it. He's a very skilled offensive player, not the greatest athlete, um, but is a hard-nosed defensive kind of guy. I, I feel like if he can stay healthy, he has a shot in the NBA. He just hasn't had a shot given all the injuries. One of the things I saw also was that before he got hurt in Cleveland, they said he was having his best training camp of his career. Uh, and there was a lot of excitement that he'd actually be in the rotation for the Cavs. Think about that Cavs rotation, one that you know did win all those games but was missing clearly an offensive threat off that bench. Maybe he would have been that guy. Had he not got hurt, but that was a team that won 50 plus games. I mean, if they thought that Winler could play for them, and now you're getting this guy on a two way deal, who knows what the Knicks may be getting in uh, in Winler if he can indeed stay healthy. Yeah, definitely a guy. You know that that's you know if they had to use a roster spot on him, that's a little you know that that could potentially be an issue. But um, to get a guy like that, you know, basically a free look at a player like that. Yeah. Two way, you know, signing the two way contract now lets him come to Westchester, practice with the team, uh, be, you know, uh, you know, get familiar with Tibbs. You know, I'm sure all those guys look at there early. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's uh, it'll be fun to watch him, you know, kind of, uh, you know, assuming he doesn't start the season with the Knicks and doesn't earn his way on to, uh, you know, um, even the back end of the rotation, um, see kind of see what he can do in Westchester for the G League Knicks. I mentioned that he's been brittle, so I don't know if you want to throw him out there power forward, but if you are looking for that stretch forward to stand in the corner, yep. I mean, he would fit that role. He can absolutely do that. So uh, maybe an interesting name to follow from that standpoint when we asked Ian about 
uh, the Nick situation and the and the powerful situation. He essentially said they they got to feel comfortable with it because adding a, a guy would mean going to 10 men and the Knicks don't want to go to 10 men. Uh, interesting that that is still kind of the mindset for the Knicks coming into this offseason, that the nine-man rotation is the way to go. Last year, they did it from December on. Right. Can they survive doing that from October on and then into maybe a deep postseason run? That is a little bit of a question I would have, especially considering two years ago they played 10 men and they were a really good team as well. So I don't I, I wonder where they kind of figure the thing out where we can't play 10 men this year. But then two years ago, it was fine. And they, they were fourth in the Eastern Conference. And also, I think it would be beneficial for the the, the cornerstone guys, Randall, uh, you know, if you want to include Barrett in that, obviously Brunson, to limit their minutes during the regular season, something we've talked about. So maybe right. experiment with the 10 men and figure out, you know, carve it down to nine by February, March, somewhere along those lines. And all the, all the while know that, you know, in important games, you know, maybe, you know, not, you know, the in-season tournament, let's say you put value on that. Maybe games against, uh, you know, Atlantic Division opponents where they want to, um, you know, try to secure, you know, if in towards the middle of the season they realize they might be a 4-3 battle, you know, 5-4 battle in terms of playoff seeding, um, that they want to place a little more importance and, and only go with nine guys certain nights. But um, ideally, hopefully, um, they kind of think big picture, but as we know, Tibbs is not uh, much of a believer in the uh, the uh, load management uh, theories. Yeah, I hold my breath when uh, Tibbs embraces load management. And, uh, <laughs> well, finally, uh, the last question I had for him, which I think is was one of the million dollar questions. Annoyed I couldn't get a Brunton uh, one in there, but I do appreciate Ian for his time. Uh, the Joel Embiid thing, because I, and I tried to phrase it in a way that. May, like could maybe explain some things beyond just what we all see could because it, in theory it doesn't make sense like why would the sixers unless they're ready to tank even consider trading joel Embiid unless he's gonna offer the fact that he wants to be traded he doesn't want to play for the Sixers anymore and that has not happened ian made that very clear so from his end he says there's really nothing to see here until that happens so is there something else beyond, like Ian mentioned, the relationships that he's had with Leon Rose, the relationships with CAA, um, that you think has led us here? I don't know if I don't think Ian's holding anything back, but it does lead me to still ask the question, why do people think, besides just seeing the tea leave, that Joel Embiid will eventually be a Nick? Because it's almost like a – it's coming like a unanimous thing. When, when it's talked about Joel Embiid's future, everybody says, look at New York, and then – I feel like every time the Knicks then end up not getting these guys, it, it becomes the Knicks fans like Joel, like Draymond Greens that are delusional when right. really it's the reporters, it's the media telling them that this is something to pay attention to. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's end of July and, and people are looking for stories. You know, we haven't yeah. had you know much meat on the bone in terms of Lillard or Harden recently. Uh, we got, you know, folks on ESPN who shall remain nameless saying that the Knicks should get Lillard. So that's when oh, you know Jesus. that uh, they're desperate for ears yeah. and eyes and and, uh, and and talking points. So, yeah, I think just the, the his comments about Leon Rose, how close they are, and the relationships and all that stuff, it's just it's fodder, you know, between two big, you know, you know, kind of big six franchises with the Knicks and yeah. Sixers and MVP and, um, and and all the assets the Knicks have. It just it's just naturally that that things are going to kind of lead that way. And, and it's only a matter of time before the Donovan Mitchell stuff heats up again, too. 
Um, you know, I, I just saw Bonteps the other day on a, on one of those pods. I think it was one more spot um, talking about you know it's uh, if he he would trade um, Mitchell today if he was Cleveland because you know you have two years if you trade him now as opposed to next summer he's going to be a year away from having that player option. Um, so yeah, if you're a Nick fan, get ready for another another kind of a round of uh, where where the Donovan Mitchell turns and then next summer it'll be even amped up even further, um, assuming that uh, Mitchell isn't traded and they don't make a deep run at the playoffs. Because if they were to lose in the first round or maybe even the second round, um, you know, and he doesn't agree to a contract extension. Um, that that being said, if he gets that Jalen Brown money in front of him, um, you know, he gets, you know, that may, uh, that may, that may quell <laughs> the concerns. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, the quote from Tim Bontemps, I don't think there is any chance he signs an extension there ever. I mean, <laughs> Again, I mean, so you read these stories and you're just like, I mean, are these podcasts or these quotes? And you're just like, well, I mean, shoot. Well, what's going on? I mean, it's like it's almost like it's reading a book, but then like the chapter doesn't finish. So like, all right, he doesn't sound extension. So then what's going to happen? Because there's going to eventually be a rubber meets the road moment. And I feel like we're not that far down the road with them beat clearly. But it almost feels like that's where we're getting to, where eventually it's going to be a Joel Embiid definitely doesn't want to stay here it's gonna be all right so then what's gonna happen like it's, like Ian being said will uh more even do play ball with the knicks like he mentioned a great point about the trading within the division not being something he wants to do and we saw it with Ainge, who clearly right was charging attacks yeah it's it, it's like it's like binging a, a a series and you know series is five you know five seasons and you know so your buddy tells you to watch it now we just saw at the end of season two and they give you the cliffhanger like what happens next <laughs> Yeah, NBA is a crazy world, but uh, I want to thank everybody for checking out this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods. I especially want to thank our special guest, Ian Bagley, once again, for joining us on this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. This is a podcast you can get wherever you get your shows, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop, every time we drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. You can find full episodes uh, as well as clips of our show on the WFAN channel. So make sure you check us out there. Tommy, let people know they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, Stuart, on Twitter. And if you're following the CBS Sports Radio Station, I am producing uh, the DA show for the rest of this week as well. So if you want to tune in 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., wherever you, again, Odyssey app. Also find us on SiriusXM. Uh, also can find us on YouTube on the CBS Sports channel as well. So check me out there. But that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Blood. Thank you guys again so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.